So, you've taken a struggling player out of your lineup. When is the right time to put him back? We'll answer that question and others, plus a deep dive into the Cincinnati Reds, waiver wire, pitcher preview, and your mailbag questions. Jeff Erickson of Rotowire joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Feeling so much better from the last couple of weeks where I had a cold that just wouldn't go away. You ever have that, Ruvain? I have, um, and my son has it, and you know what? You just get through it. it it's, a, it's a thing where sometimes the cough just doesn't go away, and that's what happened to you. Yeah, big day all-around baseball. Logan Gilbert is up for the Mariners, and I don't know who that other person is who's leading off for them. Have you heard of this guy, Kellen? Who's that? I, I don't know, but I know the Mariners brought up a Met. I thought it was Paul Seawald, though. Uh, may- maybe. We, we don't really oh. know who this Kellenic guy is. Okay, I don't know. gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Anyways, uh, we got a great show for you tonight. Joining us from Rotowire, also a SiriusXM host in middays every day of the week, none other than Jer- Jeff Erickson. How are you, Jeff? Doing well. I was looking at the, our daily lineups page, and I saw Robinson Cano batting lead off for the Mar- Oh, sorry, it's too soon. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> that's just gonna. Uh, this is day one of this. This is just gonna be a reminder every day how our team just traded away its future. Well, we have a closer, so that counts for something. There you go. That's true. That's true. Mariners have a closer too. It's a pretty good one when they use them as such. Uh, but I, I'm all aboard the Graveman train. Yep. Well, uh, today's show is about returnees, and what I mean is, you know, sometimes you have players on your team who are out for some reason, either they're in the minors or they're in, they're hurt or they're just bad and you're sitting them. question is when to put them back, how to use them. So we'll talk about that strategy element right here in the show. So before we talk about that, uh, Jeff, just uh, generally, how are you doing in, in your leagues? Uh, how's, how's the year going so far in the first uh, six weeks? Uh, pretty good so far. I mean, I, some good teams, some some t- bad teams. Actually, the beat Jeff Erickson teams, the Rotowire Online Championship, the 12-teamers aren't doing well. I'm doing much better than the 15-teamers. You know, you and I are up against each other in uh, TGFBI. Uh, it's annoying how you got Garrett Cole at nine, but uh, <laughs> and, and we talked earlier in draft season how I love being in the middle of the draft. You like it, too. Uh, and you find some good uh, things. We weren't next to each other, so it's not exactly like you sniped me all the time, but you took a lot of players that I was considering taking in, in you know, rounds where it's coming back to me in even, even numbered rounds. Uh, and it's just like we, I, I felt like we were kind of on the same page, at least on some players. Uh, and Ian Kahn's also got a good team in there, and the three of us are all uh, up at the top of that league. You're leading it right now. Uh, and I, I'm hoping to say right now and not forever, but uh, it, it's a good league, and I'm looking forward to playing this one out should be a lot of fun but all in all pretty good season so far yeah it is a great league that we're in right now a lot of great players here and you know you're right about the thing in the middle is you know when when you're picking at the end which you did you have to make a decision do I jump and reach for a guy who 
probably should go about 15 picks, 25 picks later. But, of course, if I don't grab him now, he won't be there 30 picks later. And lo and behold, I was in the middle snatching him up six picks or so before you. Um, it, it's it's one of these things that even though you might theoretically be able to get one of the top four players, and that's a f- tremendous value even for the spot. I mean, having an Acuna right at the spot, right at the top is phenomenal. But in the middle of the draft, in all the other rounds, you're able to only have to reach five, six, seven picks for player rather than 25 picks. And that adds up time over time. And that's why I think that playing in the middle is just a game theory reason uh, as to why that's better. I mean, think about it this way. When, when you're picking in the middle, you know, you're, you have to make a decision about who to pick, and you pick a player. When you're at the end, you're basically getting one pit, bit of information. Here's, here's my time to pick. And you have to make two decisions. you got to pick two players with only half the information that you're getting as opposed to in the middle. So I think there's just a disadvantage picking at either end. Yeah, uh, often we talk about on our show the uh, spectrum between genius and agnostic in terms of your picking style. Genius is the, you know, you target your guys, you're willing to reach from your get your guys sort of type of draft. Agnostic is I'm going to value take. I'm going to wait, see what the, uh, the what the draft gives me. Now, there's that's that's agnostic is in the eye of the beholder. You know, what you perceive as value might be a reach for others. You know, you know, although it's with your with your uh with your projection system, which is, you know, a, a, a conglomeration of projections, you know, less it's less of a necessarily a personal input and more of a, a better view of what the, what the, your draft pool is probably viewing as value. So you're probably more capable of value taking from the middle. Uh, you can still do that at the end. I, and I had a couple picks like that where I quote, took quote unquote value, Alex Bregman being one of them. Uh, but in, in, in other instances though, you, you really have to make that decision. The other thing too is, so I took Acuna at 1.2. I immediately had to think, okay, what's my pitching plan? Am I going to go two guys here? Am I going to wait till four or five? How am I going to handle that? Uh, fortunately, that part's worked out okay. I did Woodruff and Kershaw, uh, and that, that part's been okay. But, you know, you're all – whereas I think you're in the middle, you're like, okay, I can take the hitter in the first round, or I can take – when Garrett Cole unfathomably uh, falls to me at nine, okay, I'll start my draft off with a pitcher. Um, yeah. You have that latitude a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And if you think about it, so far this year, the first two rounds of pitchers, other than somebody we might be talking about today in Luis Castillo, everybody actually has been a hit. And such a hit that they've been so solid that their value has been has been an absolute no-brainer. Like, if you picked, you know, Corbin Burns or Woodruff, anybody in the first two, DeGrom, Bieber, you've gotten your money. You've gotten your stability in the pitching staff. And if the optimal strategy this year was pitcher in the first two rounds, hitters for six, seven rounds, and then a couple of pitchers after that. Uh, And and I was able to do that in most of the leagues I'm in, and uh, certainly Cole falling to me at nine really helps. Um, so yes. yeah, there we go. Uh, so far, so good for me in other leagues. I'm in first place in labor and first place in tout wars. So uh, ho- hopefully, uh, somebody presses the button and stops the year right now. Uh, but uh, if not, hopefully, I'll last another five months or so. Well, I don't want it stopped yet because I have so many injured players, so many guys who are coming back from injury, so many guys that are underperforming. I want a season to play out just a little bit more, and then maybe, maybe I'll sneak back up into the standings. I just want to play when it's warm weather again. I want to, you know, I, you know, I want to see like, is it are all is the downgrade in, in power and the downgrade in batting average is that going to hold all season long, or is weather a factor of that? 
you know, a function of that a little bit there too. How much of it is? Cause I, you know, typically April is the worst month of the season for hitting. Uh, but you know, we, it's coming into me. We've still seen some really bad weather situations. Colorado had a snow out on Monday for, for crying out loud. Uh, you know, it's, I, I want to see Colorado in the summertime. I want to see that, see the ball take off a little bit more because, you know, we've had to kind of adjust. Uh, and that, that of course changes exact you know, our, our draft strategies too. Yeah, no, no doubt weather has played a, an extreme effect in the first month here. Let's talk about um, putting players back into lineup. So you know, let's say you have the situation, Jeff, to start out a struggling hitter that you've benched. So, for example, uh, Lourdes Gurriel in 10, 12-team leagues. I own him in a 10-team league, and I've been sitting him. He's just not playing as much, and he's just been bad. Uh, the question is, how do you decide and when do you decide to put him back? Does, is it the question of let's say he goes off on the weekend and hits two homers and steals a base. Maybe he's got a great upcoming schedule at hitters' ballparks. Um, maybe he's just now finally moving up in the order, and you say, okay, it's time to put him back. Like, what, what is it that triggers for you to put a player who you're sitting because of bad play back into your lineup? If I can, I try to watch him a lot more. My, I want to, you know, we all want to watch our good players, right? We want to, you know, if we have a lot of leagues, we want to pay closer attention to the stats page, live scoring on our our good teams. But that's exactly backwards. You should be watching your struggling players so you can make more informed decisions. What are the quality of his at bats? Is he making good contact and he's fouling him off, or is he look lost up there? Uh, and that that's that's a big difference. Uh, if you. And sometimes you, you really can do that with Guriel in particular. I mean, they moving him down to eighth in the order uh, with Springer out for a pretty extended period of time. That might change our, my approach a little bit uh, because, you know, when they play, you know, they were in Atlanta, so he had to sit a little bit, but uh, in AL ballparks, you know, he, he's going to play and it's just pretty much it. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe when every once in a while you maybe sit him, like, I think you said league size is important. The other thing too, is we, we've seen so many, uh, so many outfielders get hurt so far that you may not even have that choice. He, you, you know, playing time can be king, especially in a deeper league, in a nail only or a fifteen teamer. You know, that's something you're like. Ah, I guess we'll just have to just have to grit your teeth and get it and go with it a little bit there. Um, and and then finally, you know, look at. I think it forces you to kind of go back and look at the previous seasons. What was that his true level? Let's let's dig into those numbers a little bit more. D- does the end result? reflect like the uh, does the end result is it supported by the underlying stats is there something i missed earlier and acknowledge it maybe i was wrong on draft day right anything to add Ruben? yeah i i want to just echo exactly what jeff said about not being able to have the choice of being able to do of being able to sit a player like that like me and you are we have a we have a team it's a 13 team we have a team together 13 team league we have lourdes guriel and we have to play him because we don't have a choice. The, the the choices of outfield, because so many people are injured, is so thin that I think I'd rather keep him in my lineup and just hope he gets hot in something like that. Another thing you can look at is schedule. If you look at the Yankees, the Yankees right now are not hitting. If you have Aaron Hicks, he's been hitting well. He's hit like 300 over the last week or so. But look at who they're playing the next couple of days. They're after today, after today, they're playing Tampa now, but then they're playing Baltimore and then they're playing Texas. All those teams don't have that great pitching. They have an occasional pitcher who's good, but otherwise they're not that great pitching. So those are teams that bad hitter that hitters who are not doing well can actually get better. 
I'll mention four things to really think about. And there's no one right answer for every single situation. It always matters on your specific situation. But four things to consider. Number one is the level of the player matters. If it's Mike Trout and he's struggling, you're going to play him anyways. You drafted him as such. You can't survive without him. Even though he's cold, you're probably going to play him a lot quicker. Um, If you're somebody at the bottom and they're not doing well, you're going to have a lot less leash. You're going to wait and wait and wait till they heat up. So the level really matters. Two is suspicion of injury. I think that a lot of times the question is why are they struggling? Is it because they're cold? Is it unluckiness? You know, look at their BABIP. Look at, look at some of the luck factors. And injury could be a reason. If that's the case, you might want to keep him out longer until you think he's better. The third thing is playing time and lineup spot matters. If somebody's playing every day, I'm much quicker to bring them back. If somebody is losing playing time, I don't want a guy who's play, playing three, four days in my lineup. I want a guy who's playing six, seven days. And the fourth thing is it matters what your alternatives are. And it has to do with league size, of course. If you're in a 10-team league, you probably have some good alternatives to Gurriel. We're going to just keep taking him out of the lineup. I haven't played him yet in this 10-team league in a long time. But if you're in a 15-team league, he's probably better than your fifth outfielder. You're going to stick with him just for that upside and that chance because you're probably not going to get all that much from that fifth outfielder as it is right now. So those are the four things I would consider. Um, Let's talk about pitching, though. Pitching is very different, in my opinion. Um, What do you do, Jeff, if you have a pitcher that you've taken out to struggle I'm not sure if Luis Castillo you've decided to take out in 12-team, 15-team leagues, you're probably keeping him in. 12-team leagues, maybe you've sat him for the course field start. If you do take him out, maybe a Kyle Hendricks you've taken out because he keeps on struggling. When do you decide to take out a pitcher, and how do you decide when to put him back? Is it he has to have two good items in a row? It, does he have good matchups? If you have a two-start week, is that a must-start for these pitchers? Like, How do you decide about pitchers? Are you more cautious than hitters? Uh, I, I probably am because there's nine spots. You can probably find more guys. You can probably find a two-step guy. Uh, but and, and I think you have to look at the specifics. And with Castillo, the velocity is down on all four of his pitches. His you know his go-to pitch, the changeup, drew one swing and miss last time against Cleveland. Uh, that that's a real problem. Uh, when you know that's the you know typically you're getting 25% swing and misses on that pitch. You know if you can't if you can't miss bats, what are you doing? And then he's going to Coors Field next now. The Rockies are making it hard for us to make that decision. Typically, your course field start, you're like, yeah, absolutely, no way, no how. Then you look at that Rockies lineup, you're like, oh, maybe. No Trevor Story tonight? Ooh, you're really tempting me here. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I don't know. So, But for me, it's a happy accident. I'm a Reds fan, yet I still don't have Castillo. What, it wasn't necessarily that I was fading him, but I did like other second-round pitchers better. Uh, so I kind of had a third-round grade on him, so I just never got him. Uh, so, th- th- you know, that's a little happenstance there, but if I, I, I do, I do have Kyle Hendricks on my watch. So, you know, it's not like I, I, I was all knowing, um, and Hendricks, I did sit him. I sat him the Atlanta start in the on- online championship league. And then last week, a two start week, I sat Kyle Hendricks because the velocity is down. And he was facing the Dodgers with one of those two starts. Little did I know that the Dodgers was the start I wanted. And then the pirates was the death trap. Well, that's, that's pretty unlucky there, and uh, that's ironic. Um, I, I think that it matters for pitchers what type of pitcher they are. If they're a yes. if they're a ratio pitcher like Kyle Hendricks, well, he's there to, 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 to help your ratios. And if you can't trust that he's going to do that, you shouldn't play him. I mean, you're not in there for the strikeouts. You can make up some better strikeouts on the waiver wire. 
frankly, right? Mm-hmm. And certainly if he's not doing well in a position to win, he's not going to give you the win. So I would hold him out a little bit longer. Um, somebody who's a high strikeout guy who's, you know, you know is a 4-5 four, four, ERA guy anyways, well, even if he's struggling a little bit more, you're still going to get those strikeouts and you hope that he's going to do better. So I might be more inclined to play one of those guys. As for two-start two weeks, if you're in a deep league and you can't start a Kyle Hendricks even in, 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 yeah. in that situation, what the heck is he doing on your roster? I mean, it's 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 a really bad situation if you can't play a two-star pitcher who's probably your first or second or third pitcher that you've taken. Well, um, and to your point, and I agree, and I've made that statement before. However, I, I'd say there's a line of demarcation. When it's someone that you've taken the top 10 rounds and you, you, you're you not using him, you're hoping that it's just, okay, he fixes whatever. It's a mechanical tweak. He fixes it and they move on. Weather warms up. He pitches better. You could say the same thing about Castillo. Uh, but if it's like your fifth starter uh, and, and you that are you know someone you got in the teens, well, yeah, I might I might waive them. I, I very well might, especially if I have, you know, six red suitcases with my hitters, which seems to be the case for a lot of teams. Uh, then I might say, OK, I have to cut someone or I might cut that injury guy. You know, it, it, but you're right. You're right. If you can't use them in a two star week, what are you doing? Especially if one of those two starts is against the Pirates. Exactly. Ruben, anything to add? Yeah, well, it, with Kyle Hendricks, at least you had a glimmer of hope. He did, he had at least yep. one good outing. But Castillo, if you look at his numbers, he I mean, he's given up since opening day 10 runs. Then he against Pittsburgh, he went seven innings, four hits, zero runs, and earn runs, anything like that. He thought, great. Then four, three, four, three, six. That's you you can't you can't have that. He he's he, that's not a number one starter because people draft him as number one. Not only that, his K per nine is down. And you have him there besides um, the main thing, besides getting hopefully you're getting a lot of innings and and nice ERA and WHIP, but he's there for strikeouts. If you're not getting the strikeouts for him and you're nervous about a start, this is why you should have guys middle relievers on your bench. A guy like uh, who I'm going to mention later, Yusmero Petit, the guy on the Athletics, yep. he's he's a stabilizer. If you don't want to throw a guy who's not performing, this is a time when you can use those guys, and when the guy turns it around, then you can do it. Even Luis Castillo, because I know um, I'll get another lead that me and RL are in together. We're sitting Luis Castillo this week. We may even sit him next week. Why? He was killing us. We also have Kyle Hendricks on the same team, I believe. So we can't have both of them. It, it just kills you. Yeah, so just to, to defend Castillo a little bit, uh, does anybody here know who has a higher BABIP in baseball than Luis Castillo? Uh, 357 BAB. Who has a worse BABIP? Anybody, anybody want to guess? Objection. Leading. No, uh, go ahead. Uh, Zero. Tell us. No, that's it. He is the leader. There's nobody who has yeah. nobody has worse. So he's been the most unluckiest pitcher, and his strand rate is 54%. You know, it should be in the 70s. Um, and his walk rate is actually the lowest of his career. So it, the problem is generating the whiffs, and we've said before in the podcast here, it's some kind of pitch mix issue. Yeah. His his curve his uh, changeup is not which is a great pitch. It's not working as well because he's throwing more of them, and maybe it's not being differentiated from his fastball enough. So yeah. maybe there's a tweak there, a little bit more luck. I wouldn't cut bait on him if you want to sit him for a brief period of time. Okay, I mean his next two outings are versus San Francisco and Milwaukee uh, at home to start. Uh, you might have to put him back. I I, yeah. I would think you have to put him back. Counter to your counter, though. The Reds' defense is horrific. Horrific. Just That won't horrible. get any better. That won't Terrible. get better. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, we, we now have Kyle Farmer playing some shortstop. Uh, you know, that they, they with uh, Joey Votto being out, they've shifted things around. So at least Suarez is playing third. Moustakis is playing first. Uh, but when Kyle Farmer is, Farmer is considered an upgrade defensively, I mean, that's your sign. 
uh, right there that that that's a problem. The other thing is the relief pitching has been horrific. So that also explains the strand rate too. And the thing is, I have some I have more confidence in that curing itself than I do the defense. Uh, you saw some signs that Amir Garrett's turning around. Lucas Sims had a good outing this week. Uh, you know, Sean Doolittle actually pitched really well. The caveat is it was against the Pirates, so we don't. But Garrett has actually had five of his last six outings have been pretty good. And the one that wasn't so good was Kyle Seeger getting him where he just, you know, dug out and hit a pretty, what looked to me to be a pretty good pitch, a low slider that just, just Kyle Seeger just got him. I mean, and then Corey Seeger just got him. I mean, uh, and that happens. But, but what if he has Ubaldo syndrome, whereas a pitcher like Ubaldo Jimenez, who's good for two and a half years, everyone's high on him, and then just suddenly it's just gone. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Remember, his velocity is down. So there may, be, there may be an injury there. There may be something going on. But people were sold on Obama Jimenez because he was doing so well in Colorado. After two and a half years, they traded him. He was out of the league in three years after that. What if Luis Ca- – I'm not going to say he is because I'm, I'm a big uh, – you know, I'm, I love Luis Castillo. We've had, I've had him every year except this year, actually. I've had him every year on my team. Mm-hmm. And I like him. But what if he turns into another Ubaldo Jimenez? Well, and, you know, ballpark factor is a big part of that, too. Remember when Ubaldo threw that no-hitter? He threw a ton of pitches, and I don't think he was I, – I, you could almost draw a straight line from that new no-hitter on to, you know, his level of effectiveness. It was interesting. But, you know, the thing is, you can maybe beat Coors Field for a season, half a season, but it usually takes its toll on you uh, with the pitching side of things. And to the point where you're like, oh, yeah, he's out of Coors now. He's fine. No, he's, he's probably messed up forever. There you go. Before we uh, do our next uh, question, we're going to have our Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, we're talking about players returning from injuries, so I thought I'd throw in a little injury question here. So far, when I did this research, 364 players have hit the IL this year. Compared to the two, compared to last year, two months, do you think, are we on pace, ahead of the pace, or behind the pace of last year's injuries. Are, are you counting COVID as, as an injury? I'm, count, I'm counting COVID because I'm comparing it to last year. And then I'm going to say more. Um, I think it's about on the same pace. I think it's been differentiated. I think there's more hitters that are hurt this year. I don't, we haven't had, in my mind's eye, we haven't had the same catastrophic pitching injuries that we had last year, at least at the top. Last year we had... Those, those four aces out, three in spring training, and one one week into the season, we, where this year we really haven't had as much of that. Well, last year, two-month season, 184 hitters went on the IL last year. So far, mm-hmm. through a month and a half, not even two full months, 150 hitters are on the IL already. So we're actually slightly ahead of pace. Pitchers were actually a little bit behind yeah. last year. You got that right, month- Jeff. 272 pitchers were on the IL in two months last year. This year, we're only at 213. So there you go. And you know, the re- and it's interesting because all spring training, all draft season, we heard how pitching in- pitcher innings are going to be down, how teams had plans to manage their pitchers. They're going to skip some starts. The Angels and the Mariners were going with six-man rotations. The Rangers were going tandem starters. Uh, the Rays were going to do Rays things. But did you really hear too much about that managing the hitters? I don't recall too many people, too many stories where they said, okay, you know, we got to get these, these hitters more days off. We got to uh, stagger that. And if you look at roster usage, teams carrying 14 pitchers and 12 hitters, it's impossible to platoon hitters when you're only carrying three men on your bench or four men on your bench. And you just, you just can't, and one of them is the backup catcher. 
and Stefania Bell hit it. Stefania Bell hit it on the head when we had her on. She said yep. that this year we're going to have a lot of players with muscle injuries, pulling yep. this, pulling that, and it's exactly what's happening because players are just not completely in their full form yet just because we had a short season last year and everyone's trying to be ready for the entire long season this year. Now, the question is, what do we do with them? When the player comes back, Jeff, when a pitcher comes back, let's say you're going to get, um, I don't know, you have uh, John Gray who's injured. Did you put him back into your, would you have put him back into your lineup right away or do you wait? I think a lot of that would depend on the matchup uh, and the location. Obviously, John Gray, you know, any Rockies pitcher is unique in that respect. But I'd probably say no play for Mr. Gray. But in, in general, for pitchers, for pitchers. I mean, come on, guys. You're New Yorkers. You got to get that joke. Come on. Work with me here. But yeah, you're not Walt Clyde Fraser fans. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but no, typically, I would say if he's one of my top three starters, I'm getting him right in. And I just, you know, all because even four innings of good work is still useful. You know, it's still getting good ratios. You're still getting the strike hits, even if you don't get the decision. Uh, if it's someone like Denelson Lamette, I might be, you know, and he might project to eventually be a two or three, but we know there's no way he's going five. There's no way he's going four. You know, it's like, I'll probably wait on him. Also, I don't have Lamette rostered anywhere. So, of course, I'm not going to be going with that. Uh, but um, I, I would say that I, a lot of it depends on the context. Otherwise, like everything else, it's the cop out answer, but it's true. I mean, the elite pitchers you're going to put in the the next level down, it's matchup oriented, and you're going to decide, okay. And of course, what injury are you coming back from? Are you coming back from Tommy John? You're coming back from any sort of arm injury? I might be more circumspect. If you're coming back from, I don't know, uh, COVID, <laughs> I'm going to roll with him. Corbin Burns, of course, you're going to get in the lineup right away. Yeah, I mean, uh, with pitchers, you know, if if you think that it's a high high strikeout ratio pitcher, even if they have a little bit less innings, it's probably okay. If mm-hmm. you have a pitcher who's really in to get the win, right, to give you some uh, take down your ratios, and you know, you have six innings and take down your ratios. Well, they're not gonna, they're probably not gonna last that that long because they're on pitch counts when they come back. So it's tricky there. And also, it depends what the injury was, shoulder, you know, if, if it was Tommy John or whatever it is. You, you know, you want to test them out. I don't want to throw somebody who's going to kill my ratios. And the thing about the, the difference between hitters and pitchers in terms of injury returnees, hitters, there's only one ratio. And so if you go 0 for 20 in a week, it doesn't really kill you. But if you have a pitcher who has a seven earn run outing in three innings, that can really kill your, your ratios for a good week or so. Um, yeah. So it really, really is. You're playing more defense in pitching than more uh, than pit in hitting. Hitting, you're playing more offense when when you're playing. So I would think about it that way. Um, now, if for hitters, I would say coming back, does it matter the categorical categorical profile of the player? Meaning, if it's a stolen base player, uh, we're not talking about Mondesi. You're getting Mondesi in your lineup right away when he gets back. But I don't know. Let's say John Birdie gets hurt in a in, in a deep league. Are you putting John Birdie right back in when when he comes back? Because sometimes players who cut, or, or somebody who, sometimes players who comes back um, for steals, maybe they hurt their hamstring, maybe they'll steal a bit less. Is, is the statistical makeup of the player a factor at all for you? Sure, of course. If he's not, if he's a one to one category player, you, you probably don't want to rush him back. But you know, then again, you could make the straw man argument and say Miles Straw needs to be back in there because he does that one thing and you don't want to miss it. I remember when Malik Smith came back from the uh, you know. 
I think maybe he wasn't even IL, but he was benched for a couple of days. And so he got benched in a lot of fantasy benches. And he had a five stolen base game. Yeah, after he got sent down and called back up. I mean, it's it's part of the Malik Smith experience. And it it applies to a lot of those steals only guys. I you it's the worst thing in the world to see that that one scarce category on your bench going off. Because it's so hard to find the stolen bases to begin with. And then and then you bench it and you, you try to time the mark and you time it wrong. Ugh. Just not what a nightmare. One of the reasons why you try try not rostering those type of players to begin with. You you want to try to find the you know I mean it's easier said than done. Find the well rounded players that get you the stolen bases plus something else. Uh, unfortunately, those kind of run out of quantity after the tenth round. Right. Let's talk about prospects. Um, you know, let's say we take a Bobby Dahlbeck sent down or Joe Adele who you know didn't stick completely at the majors. Um, do you wait as they come up to put them in their lineups? I mean, even guy, let's take a like Jared Kelenic. Um, are you putting him in if you have him on your team? Are you putting him right in your lineup the very first week? Do you yeah. think differently about prospects uh, than other players? I think if it's a, a guy you you found worth stashing all this time, you get him right in there. Um, you know, especially Kelnick. I mean, Kelnick is someone that we all you know we all drafted as a starter. It's not like we draft him in the 25th round and, hey, maybe he'll get the call. No, this this is someone that we're like, we're counting on him. We're counting on the Mariners doing the right thing at some point, some point sooner right. rather than later. You, you just get him in there. Don't and he's batting it. And he's batting leadoff in his first game. So it's a beautiful I, thing. You bat leadoff. I, I'm playing people who bat leadoff in general on any team. Uh, but what about, what about like Dahlbeck? I mean, you know, comes back. They need a spare body. Some somebody gets hurt, so you got to bring the prospect up. Is that a, a situation where you say, you know what? Let me just wait and see if he's hot before I get in my lineup. Well, the problem with that approach is you miss out on when he first starts crushing. And the thing with Bobby Dahlbeck is he was actually hitting the ball hard for a while without getting the results. Uh, and he, him specifically, I mean, that's tough. But that's the point. You know, is you look at the underlying situation there. Is he, does he look bad? Are you watching his at-bats? What, why was he? Why did he get demoted for a little bit? Why did he get uh, lowered in the order? Why is he getting benched here and there? Um, now, if it was that he was really lost, okay, yeah, I might I might be a little bit more uh, cautious in bringing him back in my active line. And, of course, the big, uh, the big equalizer is what are my options? What are my alternatives? Who am I going to put in if I don't put him in? Well, what what about what about Joe Adele though? Joe Adele, he was he played last year. He did not do well. He's in the minors now. He's killing it in the minors right now. If he's called up next week, are you sticking him in your lineup? Yeah, because the, he, if he's called up, he's called up to play. Uh, and you know, I I I think that remember he got he didn't really have a full Triple A season. He got the end of a Triple A season in 2019. And he actually wasn't crushing it then. Uh, I almost feel like sometimes you need that little taste of success and then you move on. Heck, A-Rod got sent down three times and I'm not saying Joe Adele is A-Rod, don't get me wrong, but you know, elite players sometimes struggle with their first taste and then they get the call again and they hit the ground running the second time. And right. I think that's very possible with him. You look at Dylan Carlson last year, struggled, struggled, briefly got sent to the alternate training site, came back September, was hitting the middle of the lineup at the end of the playoff series. He's ready to go. And, you know, he, he's fully formed now. So we go, you go with it. And you, it's a leap of faith. I think if you wait until he actually does something, well, you're, you're going to miss out some stats. Uh, you know, if you're blessed with having, you know, five other full-time playing outfielders, great. You know, then you can make that, make that a choice. 
as we alluded to earlier, more often than not, you're getting a platoon guy at best. I also think that pitchers are different. Uh, stud pitchers like Logan Gilbert's being called up. I think you're more prone to start him and because people haven't seen him before, so he'll probably do better in his first outing. Because a lot of pitchers, a lot of these stud pitchers, they come up, they do great in their first outing, and you know what? That's what you want because people, once they start to see him, they actually have a book on him, how he's pitching now compared to the minors. So I think when it comes to pitchers, it's viewed a little bit different than the hitters. True, unless you're Daniel Lynch, in which case you get hard in it. Your, your, your AL Tout Wars team is getting punished for it. But, oh, wait, I'm only talking about myself again. <laughs> um, well, you know, again, with pitchers, I, I'm always a little bit more cautious again because of the ratios. But what I have noticed is uh, some of these pitchers, again, as Ruvain said, you know, you don't they're the major league hitters haven't seen him. They don't have the exact book on him. They do well the first couple of outings, and then after five outings, they hit a wall and they struggle. Um, look at a Jordan Yamamoto, you know, of all people last year. He had a great couple of first outings and then struggled. Um, so you got to make sure you get them out before they hit that wall. Yeah. So it's always a matter of timing, which, which is, uh, which is the problem. But again, yeah, yeah a, a high prospect, a, a good prospect pedigree. Uh, I'm playing even the pitcher, uh, but I'm being cautious. I certainly wouldn't start them against, you know, the Dodgers or some really good Houston. How about Houston? What, what kind of offense they have? Wow. Best, best yeah, team exactly. in baseball. Uh, and, and I'll say this, our, our abilities to analyze these pitchers when they first come up is getting better and better. First of all, there's video out there everywhere, uh, stuff we didn't have before. We get minor league metrics that are better than ever. And then, of course, you got like pitcher list and baseball savant. You've got all these tools at our disposal and you can see, OK, is he getting him out because he's really dominant or is he just getting him out? And, you know, it, it's good. Chickens are going to come home to roost. And, you know, Yamamoto, he wasn't dominant. He was a guy that, you know, was giving up decent amount of hard contact getting outs. He wasn't really, you know, dominating the opposing hitters. He was not Zach Gallen. Right. This year is also tough because there was no minors last year. Yep. So you don't you don't have the full That's right. you don't even have the full what do they do last year in the minors? Guys are coming up this year, should have had a full minor season last year. And maybe even a, a cup of coffee up in September. Uh so it's it's very hard this year to do it. So yep. I'd be a little bit more cautious with the pitchers only because you just don't know the story. Uh, and again, of course, it's always up to what you have on your team and your alternatives. Uh, just a question about uh, the waiver wire and hot players picking up. Uh, my question to you is, you know, what do you do when to, to notice a hot player? Uh, baseball players are streaky. People who are hot tend to be hot for a nice period of time before they cool off. Um what do you look at when you're picking up players off the waiver wire for pitchers and hitters? Are you looking at, wow, this guy has thrown two good outings of six innings and two runs or less, or this guy's throwing nine strikeouts a game, get him right now, put him in. For waiver wire hitters, maybe if the guy has a three-home run week, that's the time to get him. What are you looking at for hitters and pitchers to say, this guy's hot, I want to pick up and play? I mean, I am looking at matchups a lot when it comes to pitching. I'm looking, okay, yeah, he – who did he face and who is he about to face? Is, it, is this team strike out a lot? What do they do against righties or lefties? Although you can get a little bit of a trap with this sample right now, especially uh, looking at that. Uh, but if you did that this week, then you, you, you could have found like in a, and maybe in a 10 team league, you could have found Robbie Ray sitting there going against the Braves. And normally you think, Oh gosh, I don't want to have him go against the Braves. Oh wait, the Braves are second to last in WRC plus against lefties so far this year. I know it's a small sample, but okay, let me face that peril. You know, it's hard to, you know, he's going to get you two starts. He's a strikeout upside guy. Got you a really nice outing. I don't think he got the win, but I think he pitched very well, if I recall correctly. 
uh, you know, and that that's the sort of thing where you can kind of dig in a little bit more. Now, obviously, Robbie Ray is more of a known commodity, but he's also a risky commodity because of all the walks and the, the home runs he's allowed over his, the course of his career. Uh, you can, but lesser known pitchers, uh, it, it's harder. It, it, it's harder. I mean, you're you're really hoping to ca- you know catch lightning in a bottle you know, so you don't get gombered. And we've all it's we've all made that mistake too. Yep. Sure. And what about, and what about Danny Duffy? He was great, and the last couple outings have been eh. Does that mean you bench yeah. him? Does that does that mean you shouldn't have picked him up to begin with? It, it's I mean. Oh I no, you should have picked him up to begin with. It's been beautiful if you did. If you picked <laughs> him up, if you picked him up early enough, but in the last you know this past outing that he had, he didn't pitch that well. He didn't look. He looked okay the time before. You know, a pitcher like that it, for two or three starts, and they're starting to get into a slump like that. Then maybe something mechanically wrong, and they have to fix the mechanics, and they should be okay. For hitters, I think you have to look at like a three to five game span where they they have one full series where they do well and another two or three games where they can carry it over. And that's when you better see whether or not the, the player's hot. If a player just hits like three straight games, it may just be the stadium. It may just be the series. It may just be that he, that he I don't know, he changes underwear and wearing different underwear. You know, there could be anything that can be played into it because these players are superstitious and you never know. All right. All we need to do is get reporters in the locker room so we can see their underwear changes and we're fine. <laughs> But no, um, uh, honestly, uh, you know, I, I try not to time the market with hitters so much. I mean, you have to, you, especially when you're trying to find guys that are emerging as guys that, you know, you know, it's a leap of faith that Adelise Garcia is going to be able to do something that he's actually, because if you wait, he's gone. At least in the leagues I play in, you don't get that luxury of waiting. You, you either, you take the chance on them and you, you, you have to decide pretty quickly. Uh, and the funny thing is the statistical cues with uh, Garcia would suggest that he's probably a good avoid because he struck out so much, you know, in, in the course of his career. 159 strikeouts in AAA in 2019, if I recall correctly. Um, that, that's like, that's a sign that you're, you, that's something you don't want. Uh, but yet, if you took that chance, you've been richly rewarded. Yeah. What I look at when I'm looking at the waiver wire for hitters uh, I'm looking at past 14 days worth of stats. I try not to say, wow, the guy had, you know, Brandon Crawford hit three home runs in a five-game span this year. It's not, right. a, oh, my God, an instant pickup and play. I look at the past 14 days. And uh, to be honest, uh, I'm looking at at-bats. Who who in the waiver wire has a lot of at-bats? Who's got a lot of just hits? You know, just sort by those two. Forget about home runs and stolen bases for the moment. Like, who's getting the playing time? Who's getting the yep. – who's at the top? That's a good way to do it. Um, look, sure – if if you have room on your team and you get, you have an Adelise Garcia, you say you gotta jump on him to pick him up because they won't be available in the waiver wire and he could be there. You don't have to play him immediately. Obviously, if you it would have been good if you did for him specifically, um, but you know you might want to pick up quickly to play though. I like to to wait a little bit longer in general. Um, but yeah, fourteen day span is what I'm looking at for pitchers. I'm looking at the past three starts. Uh, I'm I'm not looking at one start. Anybody can have a good start here and there. They're major league pitchers, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not looking at two. I'm looking at three. What is the quality over three starts? To me, that's a good base to say. Okay, this guy is worth a play. As for Danny Duffy specifically, um, I said this in the show once before. Uh, he is on the. He is a super member of the waiver the waiver wire team, right? There, there's if you took the best players on the waiver wire, 
right? Danny Duffy's mm-hmm. there. He's awesome on the waiver wire. He's a super player there. You pick him up. He stinks. You then drop him, <laughs> and then he comes back, and he has a fantastic outing on the waiver wire. So wherever the waiver wire is, he plays well. On your lineup, he's terrible. So that's I would avoid him because I just have bad luck with picking him up. Every time you think he's going to be great, uh, he goes back to the waiver wire, and they go, yippee, and he has another six six. But that also you – know, and that brings up a good point, though. Uh, we all stream pitchers, right? Um, don't get attached to your streamers. They're streamers for a reason. They, there's reasons why they, they, they come right. with flaws. They have a nice run, but you know, if you need the roster spot, move on. Look at in, in, in specifically a Duffy, he's faced Cleveland. He faced the angels. That, that, that's actually a really tough lineup. And he got six K's on that. That was impressive. Tampa Bay and you know, nowhere in runs in that one. They struggle against lefties in particular, Detroit, Minnesota, struggling Minnesota in the cold, Cleveland again, Detroit again, there's no Yankees there. There's no, not even any A's or Astros there. There's no Red Sox there. It's, sure. you know, winter's coming. You know, even though the weather's warming up, it's winter's coming for Danny Duffy, and you want to, you know, head for shelter with him. Uh, he get His next start is against uh, the Brewers, which, eh, okay, they strike out a lot. I'm, I'm, I might be inclined to keep rolling with him on that one there. Uh, then he gets the Rays again. He, he, he misses the White Sox this weekend. What, how beautiful is that? You, you don't want any part of the White Sox, in, especially in Chicago right now. Uh, yeah. So you'll take that. Uh, but yeah, it, it, you know, and some of that is, you know, you just really have to kind of pick your spots with streaming pitchers. Yep. Now you said it very well. And they're streamers for a reason, and you just got to use them as such. Um, so on this show, we're going to do over the next couple of months, uh, as we get to the middle of the season, more of a deep dive in some of our episodes on certain teams. Next week, we're going to have Sarah Sanchez to talk about uh, the Cubbies uh, and people like that. Uh, but, uh, Jeff, we have you on, and I know you're a Reds fan, so I figure we just ask you a couple of questions. Maybe you know the Reds a little bit deeper than most of us and can help us out. Uh, first question for you is, what is the closer situation? Um, who are you picking up for saves? According to Roster Resource, there's a five-man closer committee. Uh, could be anybody. Right. Is, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So on March uh, 27th, I was doing the main event draft for the NFBC. And at the first break after 10 players, and because most of the people in the draft were actually in person in Vegas, I was doing it online. Uh, the report came out, or maybe, I don't know if it was the first break or the second break, but the report came out that we're not going to declare a closer. We're going to mix and match. You know what? Sometimes managers tell the truth. We like to pr- project that they're going to, no, he's saying that, but he's really going to give one guy the job. Well, maybe he's not going to give one guy the job. Uh, maybe it's going to be Amir Garrett one day. Maybe it's going to be Lucas Sims another day. Maybe it's TJ Antone another day. I, I, I think it's very plausible that that's the case. Uh, you know, if, if there's a slew of lefties coming out, maybe Sean Doolittle gets that chance. Uh, maybe uh, Heath Hembry showing signs of life in Cincinnati may get a chance. You know, I think it's it's really a mix and match situation. Uh, they might at the break at the trade deadline add a add a, a reliever who might end up closing, and they that way they push everybody back in line one step. Uh, I did pick up Amir Garrett this week in one of my two NFPC main events. Uh, Nineteen to seventeen, I think, was the bidding. I was pretty pumped about that actually. Now uh, he, he's serving his suspension right now, which is it's kind of a mixed blessing because he's going to miss three out of the four course field games. Uh, and he did pitch well. He got in an inning and two thirds against uh, Pittsburgh earlier in the week. But I, I, I don't think it's one guy. I think it's, I, I, I do think it's going to be mixing and matching. I think Sims is getting better. I think I trust him in my active lineup. I love Antone. I have him in TGFBI, and regardless of role, I want him active when I can because he's just good. He gets you strikeouts, and as you said earlier, 
that on weeks where you have tough starting decisions, just plug in the the, the stud middle reliever and let him go. Now that you know this might not be the best week because of course field for Antone, but point is he he's a very valuable plug and play guy. Yeah, so it, it's almost like if you need saves, the Reds are not a situation to go to. But right. that doesn't mean that they're not valuable, some of these players. And, of course, they'll pick up a save here and there. It's like the Rays. You know, they're, they're, gonna, they're valuable players and worth playing in this game. Um, and they will get you a couple saves, but you can't count on them for the bulk of your saves, right? Correct. Uh, plus, we're, we're a month and a half into the season, and they have five team saves. That's it. Five. How many saves would Jake McGee have already? I mean, it's ridiculous. He has, he has more than twice that many almost already. So, I mean, it's so hard to tell because you want to hope you get the right one and you hope you get the right one of the right week for the right price. That's what it comes down to. A couple weeks ago, I was telling Ario that and one for our for one, um, for the NFBC team we're in, we should get Sean Doolittle because no one wants him and there's a possibility he can save and you can get him for a buck because no one wants him. So, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of luck when it comes down to this. Yeah, 100% agree. Let's talk about Nick Castellanos. Um, he's been phenomenal so far this year. Uh, he's uh, the number 10 player, not just hitter, the number 10 player in rotisserie. He's in 15-team league that amounts to a $32 player. It's phenomenal. Um, where does he rank for you? Uh, and maybe maybe the way to do this uh, is, is to do like a who would you rather. Um, I mean, rest of season, I think in terms of outfielders, Acuna, Soto, Betts, Trout, Harper, I think you got to go with those. Would you rather have Castellanos or Christian Yelich, Jeff? Oh, man, what a tough call because of the back injury with Yelich. Um, you know, and he doesn't even run. That's the thing. Castellanos does have one bag, but I, I, I think I'd go Yelich, but, man, it, I, it's the point that the, the, the point is it's a tough call. It's not an easy decision. And, you know, right. and, and draft day, that was a no-brainer, right? So, I mean, I think that's where the conversation has turned. Ruvain, what about you? I think I'd go with Castellanos because of the health issue, but I got a better comp. Would you rather have Castellanos or Kyle Tucker the rest of the year? Because Kyle Tucker has done almost nothing. He's heating up the last couple of days, but he's done almost nothing. And he gives you that speed profile. But right now, Castellanos is just hitting better. And he's going to be in Cincinnati. And he hasn't warmed up. And he did well last year also. And he's just, you know, I, I haven't liked Castellanos. So I think for myself, I'd rather have Castellanos than Kyle Tucker right now. And when it came to drafts, Kyle Tucker was much higher up than Castellanos. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'd go Tucker because of the speed. And I think... We're going to need that. By the way, really good article in The Athletic today by, you know, Saros and uh, Andy Baggerly uh, about stolen bases. And are, are they really, truly down or are they just picking their spots differently? You know, I, I suggest I, – I, Ariel, I think I saw you uh, retweet it out. Too, yes, so great article. Stuff. Great article. Got to read that. Yeah, but uh, Tucker, it, it's, it's a little faith-based argument. I think he's going to come around. So, And you know, I think he showed those signs. That's a little bit of confirmation bias. I think he's going to – I thought he was going to do it. I've seen these recent games. Therefore, he's going to do it. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a logic uh, step there if you, if that, that might be missing. But it's cl- again, it's close. I think that's a great comp. I mean, a, a great com- uh, great debate, I should say. I'll say the answer in, in terms of this. I think it really it matters in terms of are we talking value or talking necessity for your team? In terms of yeah. overall value, I would rather have Castellanos, and in terms of value to risk, I would much rather have Castellanos. I think that Castellanos is a not a, is has very low risk. Uh, I think that we know who he is. He's this high thirties, uh, you know, thirty five homer type player. 
doesn't steal, but that's who he is, and I have a very high probability, a very high chance of him succeeding. Tucker, his question is sure. what he's going to do. I, I, I don't have that ability. Is he going to hit for average? I don't know. And for about the same v- price, I'd rather have the less risky player. In, in terms of team construct, Tucker does steal. So if that's a profile that helps the team out, he could be more valuable to your squad than Castellanos. Um, but I think for the value, I think that Castellanos, I, in a vacuum today, I would take Castellanos over Tucker to start my team. So if um, there was a trade in your league, Castellanos for Kyle Tucker, you'd have no issues with it? Yeah. I mean, no. That's, 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 that's oh, I wouldn't funny. either. I think it's I think it's an absolutely good, good challenge trade. Uh, I'm, I'm also on the team almost never uh, – ever reject a trade from your opponents. I mean, I, 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 I hate, hate, hate overturning trades unless there's like, it's gotta be a really clear and, you know, a clear instance of where they were, you know, conspiring and, and you know, or they're, they're you know, to try to, to cheat the league. I, I, I'm very anti-veto. What about Marcel Ozuna? Would you rather have Ozuna or Castellanos rest of season? Castellanos. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, uh, Osuna, much, much more streaky. What about Cody Bellinger? So I was lower than the pack on Bellinger. So that's probably, uh, I had like a third round grade on him going into the drafts. Uh, and so I don't have him in any single team. Uh, and part because of the injury, I thought, and not because of the injury that he, he's out for, but because of the shoulder. I also thought that I saw some, you know, saw some batting average risk in him. I know he hit better in the playoffs, but I think I might, Go Casty over uh, Bellinger. Uh, just risk of re-injury, these muscle injuries that Stefania is talking about, right there. That, that's that's one right there. I go Bellinger. I, I like I like Bellinger there. Um, Bellinger has an it could be an MVP. Castellanos is not that level. So and if Bellinger gets hot, I'd rather have Bellinger's hot than Castellanos is hot. Okay. Bellinger was Bellinger was better last year than Castellanos, um, but Castellanos was better than Christian Yelich last year. Um, was there any other any other outfield you'd rather have? I mean, uh, Luis Robert injured, Starling Marte somewhat injured. Uh, we're gonna call Whit Merrifield a, a second baseman, so let's not bring him in. Uh, George Springer injured, Aaron Judge. I I think that's where he fits in. He's pretty much a middle uh, number one outfielder, uh, as and he was drafted as call it a mid to high number two outfielder. So he's that that's really where his value is now. Uh, you guys agree? Yeah, he's climbed for sure. Yes. Now, now, Jeff, this is a question for you. Who's going to be better rest of season, Nick Castellanos or Jesse Winker? Who's going to have more fantasy value? Casty, but don't get me wrong. I, my love for Jesse Winker is pure, um, but I, it, it's Castellanos. Just I think there's more power, and you know I think he's a better chance to accumulate counting, uh, counting stats. So I think Winker's going to be either batting first or second most of the year. I find it interesting they've been going Senzel first and Winker second lately, uh, which actually is better for Winker. Uh, but I, I think there'll be times when he still bats lead off when when Senzel's not playing, for instance. Uh, and I just think you know it's kind of like when Chris Bryant was batting lead uh, lead off for the Cubs. He just doesn't get those RBI chances. Let's talk about Tyler Molly. Uh, he's doing some pretty good stuff. Looks like a really legit pitcher. Is he yeah. for real? Sure. I mean, I think he, he showed the signs second half of last season. Since then, the velocity's up, the spin's up, uh, the results are better. Uh, I yeah, I, I put me on board. 
Yeah, I mean, he's trending up. Uh, you know, the statistic that I like to look at in season a lot for pitchers, it's such a simple statistic. It's K minus BB. It's walks yep. minus stri- uh, strikeouts minus walk percentage. Um, just if, if, if you ever on your waiver wire, we talked about the hitters, uh, you know, just looking at at-bats. Just sort your waiver wire by K minus BB, and you can see who the interesting players are. 2017, 3%, 2018, 11%, 17%, last year 19%, 21%. It's just a complete, simple but slow upward trend. Molly is for real. Um, his ERA will be a little bit worse going forward. He does have an 87% strand rate, which is a little bit on the high side. But mm-hmm. just take a little bit ERA regression, and he is who he is. Um, let's go to the waiver wire here. Um, in our waiver wire segment, where we talk about maybe an interesting guy or two uh, to pick up on your teams. Uh, Jeff, who, who's somebody that you might be targeting this week? Oh, I, I mean, you start off with, of course, Logan Gilbert, uh, and I'm assuming Kelnick's already taken. Um, and, and leagues where I'm allowed to speculate on minor leaguers, Alec Manoa on the Blue Jays is a guy I want to take a chance on before he gets expensive. I did so in AL Talent Wars. I, you know, he's had now two great starts. Uh, and Vidal Bruhan is another one that you guys mentioned earlier. I, he's another one I think is a good ad. Ryan Bloomfield added him in AL Talent. So that's that's someone to look for a lot. Uh, and then you're just looking you know, for guys that are getting the playing time. You're really just trying to dig in and find those guys, whether it's Harrison Bader coming back uh, last week that, you know, or two weeks ago, that was an ad. You look, you look for those sort of guys. You look to see, okay, when's JD Davis coming back for the Mets and how that's going to affect the playing time. Yep. Move in yours. Yeah. Well, I mentioned one of the guys, right? I mentioned Juice Mayor Petit with the athletics. He's pitched 21, two thirds innings already, 15 Ks, an ERA of 0.83, a whiff of 0.88. And he's only owned in 26% league in CV in CBS. He's great for your bench, especially if you have a Luis Castillo and you don't want to start him. Exactly. You throw him in. And and Jeff, you actually stole the guy I wanted. I wasn't going to mention Harrison Bader because he's only 20% owned in CBS. I actually picked him up in TGFBI last week because because my outfield was ravaged with injuries, and he's been mm-hmm. playing every day. He's batting 275, three homers, two stolen bases over the last and over the last week. He's batting 300 with run home run. Because the outfield is so shallow, if he's available, he's a good blend of power and speed. He's playing every day, and he should be playing every day for your team. That was exactly the guy I was going to mention, Ruvain Harrison Bader. You know, he's one, <laughs> he, he, he's one of That's these amazing. guys. Yeah, uh, I actually mentioned him. I was on Colton and the Wolfman uh, the other day, and I mentioned him. Um, he he is one of these guys that was not really taken that much in draft because he was injured, and people just oh, he's injured, so I'm not going to take him. But he's a fifteen fifteen player. He's a power speed guy. Contact rate this year eighty five percent. That's phenomenal. That's going to have a high floor batting average. His battable profile looks identical to last year. He's the same guy as last year, but maybe a better contact. 15-15 player, Harrison Bader, only 20% owned CBS. And I'll also mention Robbie Grossman. He's actually the fourth highest player in stolen bases in the league. He's a perfect 7-for-7. So he's picking his spots, as Eno says, and he's doing it. Uh, I mean, the only guys who are really around him, Whit Merrifield... Luriano, uh, uh, Trey Turner, kind of Falefa, but Robbie Grossman—he's not being—he's not taking the leagues. Thirty percent owned in CBS leagues. He's somebody if you need speed, playing every day. Uh, he's somebody you should pick up right away. The other guy I'll mention is Jake Diekman, only forty percent owned on CBS. Um, I Oakland—are they doing a committee? Because sometimes it's Trevino, sometimes it's Diekman. Uh, looks like they are doing both. It's another one of these 
co-committee uh, co co So I I can speak to that. So they're yeah. they're definitely doing the okay, we're going to leverage our relievers for the best possible spots. Are there lefties coming up? What's this tough the, the tough part of the order? Uh the other night in Boston, Trevino faced uh Bogarts, JD Martinez and I think Devers. It's like okay. So it's not it was the 8th inning, so it wasn't a safe situation, but they wanted their best reliever facing the best hitters. You know, it's like how Seattle uses Kendall Graveman and you just have yeah. to kind of grin and bear it. Uh, and, and the answer isn't, okay, don't go, go get uh, Rafael Montero. Cause that's when you get punished. Montero's hurt you lately. You know, he gave up that huge home run to Gavin Lux and that that's something you just have to like say, all right, well, I'm just going to get fewer saves. And, but the thing is guys, it's okay because it takes fewer saves to compete in saves right now. So if, if yes. you're aiming for the you know upper third in saves in your league, it doesn't require the same number of saves as it has in the past because more and more teams are doing the ace reliever concept and you just hundred percent. So it's okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I was saying before this season started, you know, especially I was, I was looking at the Tampa Bay relievers and people were like, well, you know, Tampa Bay, no one's going to be the, the, the closer for sure. Uh, you know, the, they have 12 guys in the team will get a save. The ball boy will get a save also. But yep. if you look at their high valued players and the better ones are going to get a third of the saves. If you have a third of the saves and you're a good player, that's very valuable in fantasy, much higher than the market perceives. I mean, it happens to be Diego Castillo was the, the guy who won out, but that was because of injuries. Um, but even if he wasn't, even if he comes up at the end of the year and uh, he's got only 14 saves, there's not that many saves to go around, period, because everything's split, and he's a high-value player. I think that market, the market is just not paying the right amount for them. It, yes, sure, if you get Edwin Diaz, if you get Liam Hendricks, if you get Chapman, sure, they're going to be much, much better. And, of course, they are more valuable because there's a lower amount of saves, and they are the exact guys. But that's not to say that the guys who get small amounts, even a split, aren't worth it. So Trevino and Diekman are both worth rostering 100%. Yep. So even if they only get half the save or a third of the saves, good situations, good players, they will get saves. You don't need as many. Uh, it's an instant pickup for me right now. If Diekman's available in, on, in your league, you pick him up. If nothing else, he's a handcuff, right? Um, let's go to pitcher preview. Is there any pitchers worth taking? Well, we don't want to get Gomber this week, uh, and there isn't a whole heck of a lot out there, but uh, maybe Ruvain, maybe is there any? Uh, let's go with you first. Is there any pitcher worth picking up for either a good matchup or a great two-start matchup? Yes. If you want a lottery ticket, look at James Caprillian. That's the guy from Oakland. He used yep. to be on the Yankee. Big prospect. He was in the John. Uh, he was in the um, the Sunny Gray trade back in 2017. He's only 6% owned in CBS. He got one start so far. He got a win there. He got he went five innings, six strikeouts. He did walk three people, but he has playing time. Jesus Luzardo's on the IL. Mike Fires is on the IL. He's got a decent decent schedule coming up. He's got and the Houston Astros, which is not great, but he's got the Angels also, which is also not great, but he is a, supposed to be a top prospect. If you want a, a possible lottery ticket, this is the guy to go for. Jeff, why don't you go first, and let's see if you pick the guy I'm going to pick. Okay, I, I actually have uh, – I mentioned him earlier, but Gilbert. He gets Detroit next week. Then the following week, he gets two starts. One at Oakland, I don't love, but the other a home start against Texas. Uh, I, I mean, buy the hype. Steer into it. Be, I'm going to be in the square and go ahead and take the, the hype prospect and try to max out the number of outings for him. All right. You didn't take my guy. I'm going with Good. John Lester. 
30% owned. Um, he's, again, one of these guys who just started late. He's building up his strength. His first three starts, 70 pitches, 85, 97. Look at his outings. Five innings, no runs. Then five innings, three runs. Then his last outing versus Philly, six innings, one run. He plays at Chicago and versus Baltimore. Those have a 227 team average and a 228 team average, 20th and 21st best in baseball. That's about as good two matchups as you can get. Uh, and Lester is a seasoned veteran. Uh, I think if you're looking for any streamer, I think that Lester is the guy. Yeah, I'll throw one more. His former team, and our a lot of, like our TGFBI league. He's obviously way gone, but in CBS leagues, I bet you I don't know what the roster percentage is. I don't have a league there right now, but Adbert Elzale has got two starts for the Cubs. He misses bats. Uh, he 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 looks totally legit for me. Gets a home start against the Nats, and then a road start against the Cardinals. Not ideal, but not enough to scare me either. I think he's a, he's a guy I'd aggressively target if he's still available. He is 60% owned on CBS, so he's probably gone in all the deep leagues. 10 and 12, you have a shot. Yep. All right, let's do a couple questions from our mailbag. A bunch of saves, guys, and a bunch of uh, – actually, a bunch of NL-only questions here. Uh, Al says, I play in an NL-only league where you lose stats if they go to the AL. Uh, who are the most likely guys to be traded? Is it Story? Is it Baez? Um, I mean, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll start out by answering. I think that closers of value on crappy teams going nowhere are probably it. Richard Rodriguez. Yeah. I yes, think of I, course. Now that's the yeah. obvious one. Jake McGee, yeah. possibly. Um, I'll also throw in maybe some veterans who are doing well on teams going nowhere. Maybe a Chris Bryant if they don't want to extend him. Maybe Corey Dickerson on the Marlins, something like that. But the closers are a lock. I mean, uh, uh, that's definitely guys you want to trade if you can right now in an NL only if you have that kind of rule. Yeah, I mean, pick a pirate, right? I mean, it's Richard Rodriguez is, you know, it, it's it's dereliction of duty if he doesn't get traded. Uh, you absolutely have to trade him if you're the, you're the pirates. He's 31 years old. Uh, this is relievers burn bright, burn fast. You got to trade him. Uh, I, Tyler Anderson is an interesting case guys. He's reviving his career with Pittsburgh. He's ha he's on a nice little run right now, but I, I think he he's in, I think he's in a six year in the majors. He's a guy that's kind of freely available. If he continues this run, I think they, they, they at least need to listen to offers for him and see, see what's out there. Uh, you know, good left-handed starters are hard to find on the trade market. Yeah, no good. Good guy who's doing doing great lately. Anyone to add, Ruvain? Yeah, I'm gonna add a couple of guys here. First of all, a guy who gets traded every trade deadline is Drupal Cabrera. It's a little bit deeper, yeah. but if some people need the roster and like they, they use him for every position, he may get traded. Um, Zach Davies, he was just traded for um he was traded in the in the pot for the Padres. I think he's a possibility of getting traded. And if the Cubs are selling, this is the last year of C Craig Kimbrell's contract. This is the year they would trade him. He has a vesting option for next year, but this is the year to trade him. And another guy we mentioned was uh, um, Doolittle because he can be a lefty specialist for a team that needs like a team in the National League East where the, a lot of the teams are very lefty heavy. And you know what? You need a lefty specialist. He would be perfect for them. Yeah, that's going to be my first place Cincinnati Reds, though, so that's not happening. <laughs> there you go. Uh, um, actually, uh, Luis Castillo's already down three nothing, guys. Uh, maybe it won't. They, they, there will be training away players at the deadline. I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, 
Yeah. Uh, here's a quick one. I, I think this is a very easy answer. In Roto, do you look at standings per period to, ass- to assess your needs, or should you only look at future projected performance? Meaning, should I pay attention to the fact that Fantrax says I was the worst team in my league last week? That is a hard no, not even worth a big description. But, yeah, I, look, uh, things don't stabilize after one week. I mean, if, if you go even three weeks in the season, that's not going to stabilize. You should never look at any one-week performance, period. Anybody, any, anyone differ? Nope. Nope. All right. 100%. Leland asks, when when do you start deciding on stashing possible closer candidates like Jolie Hernandez or Spores or if Kennedy were to be moved? Um, yeah, that, that's the question. Do, do When would you – when is it good to stash the next guy in Pittsburgh or whoever? Uh, is it three, four weeks before the trade deadline? Is that what you would do? Is it oh, – okay, so if it's an AO-only league – Joely Rodriguez should probably be picked up now, uh, before before you have to bi- have a bidding war on him. Because let's face it, he's got he's he can't hurt you, and you know he, he's actually a good guy you can stash you know, while you're waiting for your injured starters to come back. You can actually stash him on your active roster. My, my, in mono league, this is this is a question more for let's say twelve to fifteen deep league. Sure, uh, fair enough. Leagues. Okay, so let's say it's twelve team mixed. Uh, probably two weeks before the trade deadline, three weeks. You know, the thing is, you don't want to stash too long. Because especially if you have no IL spots, you're looking at all the injured hitters that you have. You're you're trying to stream some starters. It's really tough to just use up one of those roster spots on a guy that maybe might close a month from now. I'd say maybe two weeks before the deadline on those sort of guys. What do you say, Ruben? I would actually say do it now. Why? Because you can plug them in. These guys, if they're going to be closers, then they have good stuff now. You're going to get good ratios now. You're going to get good strikeout rates now. I mean, players like Jeffrey Springs for Tampa. He's a lefty. He's not going to. He may close. He has a. He has two saves already. He's got 18 strikeouts and in 16 innings. He's a guy you may want to play. A guy like Daniel Hudson, a little bit deeper. But if Brad Hand keeps blowing saves, he's I mean, he did it last year. Brad Hand lost his job last year. Daniel Hudson's a guy. You can you can plug him in, you can start him already because he's already getting the good ratios, and that's what you look for. Another guy, Adam Plutko. He's actually done very well. And if you watch the way Cesar Valdez pitches, I don't think he's gonna be the closer for the entire year. Don't watch Cesar Valdez pitch. That's that is actually a legitimate takeaway. Uh, as someone that has him on a team. You, you know, if you have them, don't watch your closer. Watch other people's closers. <laughs> that, that's always the rule of thumb there. I think that's a good call for sure. Yeah, I think it really depends on on your team situation. Do you how desperate you are for saves? Uh, do you have injuries in your team? I'll say a general three to four week rule is probably good for me. Uh, but that that'll be more or less depending upon you know your team need. Last question, Matt asks. I'd be here. I'd be curious to hear your take on Tatis again. How much did that five homer weekend against the Dodgers affect your opinion of him, or at least of his health? I was with you in downgrading him significantly prior to then, and now COVID. Um, I think this question is directed towards me. I had an article out that you should pretty much uh, seek out trades for Tatis right when he was hurt because the market was actually very favorable to trade. Uh, I mean, some people would even offer Bogart, Xander Bogarts for him straight up, in which I would have taken in a heartbeat then. And my, my analysis was, listen, it's a probability distribution. It's not he will be out or he will not be out. There's a percentage chance he will. Percentage chance he's back right in the 10-day span. Percentage chance he's out a month. Percentage chance he comes back after a week and then gets hurt two months later when he has a reoccurrence. Percentage chance he's out for the whole year. And you do the math and you give some probabilities, 
and you see what is the average of what he's worth. Of course, whatever average it is, it's more risk, right? It's not a sure thing anymore. Now there's uncertainty, so that, again, diminishes his price and value because of the risk. The fact that he hit that five-homer weekend, and more importantly to me, he stole a base. He stole some bases. That changed the distribution. He no longer is he's going to be out the whole year. Uh, That just sucked it up and said, listen, now the probability of him being out the whole year is very low. And the probability of him getting a significant playing time is much, much better. And you do that and his value becomes more. I'm not disappointed at all that I thought that way. And I probably would have sold Tatis for Javier Baez if I had him on my team, which I wouldn't because I didn't pick him. But uh, I'm not disappointed in my thought process, and that five-homer weekend for sure changed my, my thinking. Uh, but that's what it is. You know, you play the risks. In If you do this kind of math, in the long run, you'll come out better than, than not. Tatis is a special player. Maybe the math is a little bit different for the superstars than it is for any run-of-the-mill player. Maybe I didn't factor that in enough in my analysis, but I, I'm I'm still okay with what I did, and uh, that did change my mind. Any thoughts, Jeff? No, I, you know, we had similar processes there. Um, yeah, it is it is a, a assumption. It is a matter of assessing risk, and well, and especially in the case of like Bogarts, is like yeah. And Fred Zinke and I did a whole podcast of Would you take this for Tatis? Would you take that for Tatis? And you know, Bogarts was a, a pretty easy yes. Now Baez, I probably wouldn't have just because. You know, I, I question how high the batting average ceiling can get with him. I, you know, certain things with him, I, I question now, uh, especially because the strikeout rate hasn't changed at all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and the thing is, the shoulder that that risk part of the shoulder hasn't gone away. That is still there. I mean, he, he he's avoided he's avoided uh, doing you know the, the re-injuring it so far. But the the key phrase is so far. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I'm just surprised that. Um, even though he changed his swing completely from one-handed to two-handed, still was able to do it. That's very impressive. And I, I, I really think that risk analysis of injury has to be looked at in terms of the level player. I mean, great players do great things. And we saw that he was able to really master the new swing really quickly, which is unbelievable, even though he didn't even have any game situations, right? right. I mean, he didn't have a rehab start, and he was able to just do that, which is incredible. I think any run-of-the-mill run player, J.D. Davis, is not going to have that kind of thing, um, you know, for him. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ruben, any, anything to add to that? You're, you're the injury guy. Yeah, my take is exactly the same like it was before and exactly at the end of the last thing that Jeff said, that's the most important thing. It's still there. The injury risk is still there and it's still just as high as it was when he first injured it. Yes, he's quote-unquote managing it, but you know what? The best comp I can think of is let's say you have a, a high pitcher. Let's say you have a, a, a first or second or third round pitcher who has an injury to their elbow, a UCL injury, and then they get better and they put them back in and they start doing well again. Does that mean it's not going to happen again? Does that mean it's not going to flare up? You have that risk. You have to play it as, lo- as long as you can, but I would say still try to trade him because at this point you will get a ton for him because people think, oh, he's fine. But you know what? It could flare up in the middle of the summer or, or let's say June, July, and then he's done for three months. You could still lose a big chunk of playing time for him, and you can get so much for him right now just because he's raised his value so much. One other context, uh, Clue. Say say you're sitting 10th or 12th in your league. Then the, then the switch is reversed a little bit. Then you go for it. You try to buy low. You offer Javi Baez for him. 
you, you, I think that's where it's different. If you know, you, you got to, then you have to take some chances because I think we're not, well, not just the place. And here's the thing that's really important. You know, the, your previous question was asking about like, do I look at weekly standings? Of course not. You don't, but season long, you look at where you sit in the categories. You look and see, am I behind in, you know, how far am I behind in RBI and homers? Should, am I like close to a pack? You know, you go to Yahoo and one of the things they have the graphical standings. You can look and see, is there a big gap in, in certain categories? Do I need to make some aggressive moves or am I just on, on the precipice of making a big jump? You need to you need to look at all of that there. And that that makes a huge difference. You know, I'll say it this way because uh, I talk about risk all the time. You know, his expectation maybe is a little bit down because of the, the risk of him, you know, missing time. But the risk is higher, right? The, there is a wider range of outcomes of Tatis because of the possibility of the injury. Mm-hmm. And you said it right, that it matters where you are in the standings. If you are in first place and you have Tatis, you probably want to de-risk your team. I'd rather yep. even now take Bogarts, who I think is quite safer than him, because at any point he can miss a month. From, from a recurrence, right, Tatis, right? And that could not get a first, whereas Bogarts, not as great a ceiling as him, but he's a much higher percentage chance to make that expectation, whatever it is. You want to, in general, if you're in first place, second place, if you think that the way it's going, to de-risk your team. But if you're at the bottom, if you're in the, in the middle even, right, if you're in seventh place, sixth place, you need to jump up and make ground up, you need to increase the risk. You should be looking to trade even value to get Tatis. Like, give people more than what Tatis is, is worth just because the risk is greater. You want to increase your risk, right? It's always, I, I'm always thinking about de-risking, and that's why when I'm playing in the end of the season, a lot of people do not want to make two-for-one trades. They want the one, right? They, they'll trade two to get the one. I'm always going the opposite. I find myself a lot, thankfully, in first, second place. I want to de-risk. I trade my stars away to get two good assets for about the same value because I just want to – I want two guys. I don't want my eggs in the same basket. I'll take two guys. So if one guy gets hurt, I still have half my stats uh, going forward. It's something always people should really look about. And if nothing else, Tatis has highlighted it. And I hope he stays healthy all year. If he doesn't, I'm not going to jump up and down and say I'm right. Um, but uh, it, it's just something to think about. There's always risk whether you see it or not. It's the process, not just the outcome. All right. Uh, quickly, uh, any uh, injury updates, Ruve? Any injury updates or how many should I give? <laughs> um, we'll start with Jacob deGrom, who's on the IL with side or low back tenderness. The MRIs were normal, but the Mets, for once, are being extremely cautious with him, and they're actually letting him rest. He's only supposed to miss one start, though. Carlos Martinez was placed on the IL with right ankle injury. He actually said that he pitched through the through his twisted ankle, and actually it showed. Um, but he's there's no timetable for him to return. Juan Oviedo could fill in at the, for the now. Uh, Grayson Griner, a catcher for Detroit. People don't – it is not a popular name, but he's on the aisle with a left hamstring strain, and Jake Rogers, one of the Tigers' top prospects, was called up. He's going to get playing time because Wilson Ramos is still out. Zach Gallen, who we mentioned earlier, is on the aisle with a sprained right elbow. The Diamondbacks GM actually said the most likely path forward is a short, quote, no throw period followed by a second round of imaging to assess healing that's not good mike soroka he he's scheduled to undergo exploratory procedure on his right achilles to see why he has discomfort this probably means that he has scar tissue buildup in the area and that's why he's having the pain so they may need to clean it out and then he may be okay 
Um, and I want to end on a positive note here. Players who began rehab assignments who could be back soon. Jazz Chisholm, Brandon Rogers, Miles Mikolas, Kettle Marte, Anthony Santander, Steven Strasburg, Adalberto Mondesi, AJ Puck, Kyle Freeland, Christian Yelich just recently started, even Byron Buxton, who I actually said should be traded a couple of weeks ago. I said trade him at his peak, just like you should trade Tatis at his peak. He's been clear to throw and is expected to begin hitting in the batting cage soon. Well, that's good news for Byron Buxton, who has been one of the fantasy darlings of the year. I mean, certainly you've gotten your money's worth so far if you have him. Uh, he can't get any hotter, so it's probably good to trade from that perspective and the fact that he gets always hurt a lot. Uh, but, I mean, he's propping up your fantasy team right now, that's for sure. All right, well, that's the end of this episode. Jeff, this was phenomenal. We covered some strategy. We covered some reds. We covered some mailbag. We did it all. This was fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Always a fun time. And, uh, you know, it's great you know, talking with guys that, you know, are really analytical about the process and really know their stuff. And thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Oh, uh, our pleasure. Could you just tell the audience uh, where everyone can see your work, read you, listen to you, and, and all things uh, Jeff Erickson? Sure, of course. Uh, first thing is hit us up on Rotowire. Uh, we have a free 10-day trial people can check out. Uh, podcast listeners, either ours or others, rotowire.com slash try. Uh, you can check us out there. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Erickson. I do three baseball podcasts for Rotowire. I do four, uh, five baseball shows, radio shows on Sirius XM. So I'm overexposed. But there's many, many ways for you to kind of catch up with me there. Jeff is a phenomenal listen and read all the time. Um, I, I always catch at least three or four podcast shows of yours a week. Uh, definitely the first one. My breakfast routine on Monday is the one with Scott Jenstad. Oh, thank you. The whole weekend. I mean, that's just that's just there. And uh, you know, depending upon my schedule at work, you might be on during my lunch break uh, on the on the radio. So great, great to hear your voice and great to talk with you. You bet. Take care, guys. All right, Ruvain, just tell everybody where uh, uh, about your your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates on a daily basis, next man up, and how long players will be out for. I also have a weekly injury article, which I mention all the injuries I mentioned on the show, as well as others on Rotoballer. It comes out every Saturday morning. All right, I'm Ariel Cohen, right for Fangraphs, Rotoballer, CBS Sports, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY, and of course, listen to me on the Beat the Shift podcast right here each week. All right, again, thanks to Jeff Erickson for joining the show, and from all of us here, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.